Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action to create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in this tech field starts right now. This week, I'll be speaking with Sarika Maholtra. Sarika is a dynamic business leader and an active proponent of diversity and inclusion at the workplace. She has spent over 25 years consulting with companies across the globe, helping them to use information and data intelligently to transform the way they do business. Sarika is a hands-on executive. She loves to enter into debates on architecture and technology with her team. Analytics and the application of machine learning to solve business problems are her key interest areas. Sarika is also a community leader at the IAMCP, a non-for-profit working with the Microsoft Channel Partners. She serves on the international board of the IAMCP and is the international chair for diversity and inclusion. She works actively with the international partner community to encourage diversity in the workplace. Welcome to the show, Sarika. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you, Jennifer. It's, uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on your podcast. That's great. Um, so let's get started. Sarika, you are a successful entrepreneur uh, of two companies. Can you share with us how you got started and what that journey looks like? Sure. Uh, so I got started just by mistake, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, w- I started my career with uh, in a software company, uh, TCS, actually, Tata Consultancy Services. You may know them. Mm-hmm. They're the largest mm-hmm. IT company in India. And I started working with them. I worked with them for a few years. And uh, meanwhile, uh, my daughter was born, and I, was, uh, I had taken some time off for that. And my husband got a good opportunity to move to a different city, which is uh, Pune. We were in Delhi originally, so we decided to move as uh, uh, we felt this was a good opportunity for him. And my company also had an office in the city, and they were open to transferring me. So I said, great, we moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when uh, I came here, and then I saw that you know this office did not really have any client-facing work. It was more like back-end work, which was... Uh, not really exciting and not something I wanted to do at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. So I decided to quit and uh, to do something else, to find another job. And as luck would have it, I couldn't find proper childcare for my daughter. And mm-hmm. so I started freelancing while I was looking for a job because I didn't want to be idle. And then I had free time because my daughter was a really good kid. She was about two and a half years old at that time. So I started uh, making some software at home. So mm-hmm. she would go to play school, and uh, I would sit and program. And before I knew it, I had created two or three software products, which I then started selling. And before I knew it, I had 10 customers. 
and then I will then I had to set up a company to service <laughs> and to handle payments. So it kind of just happened out of nothing with no planning, and um, but it it just started doing well, and then I. Uh, you know, there was a business house who I was advising and consulting as a freelancer, and they gave me the option to merge my company with them. They wanted me on their board, so my company merged with them, and I worked with them for some time. Wasn't too happy. Uh, you know, didn't want to do that long term. So I stepped out, and then uh, I had met my, uh, you know, my current partner, and we decided to start something of uh, together and so that's how my second company was born and honestly I mean business is the last thing Jennifer I ever thought I would be doing because my dad was in the military and nobody in our family has ever been an entrepreneur they've all Mm. been in either the army or the air force or the navy that's about it and I smoked one doctor that's it so I was the first one in my family (laughs) to venture into business and uh, it, it, it was tough. It was tough because I was completely technical by background. I'm an engineer. I've, I have a master's in engineering. And I had no clue of, you know, what a profit and loss statement looks like or, you know, how do you manage finances and, you know, how, how do you really run a business? I had no mm-hmm. education and no preparation for that at all. Uh, you know, in my, neither in my education nor in my past experience. So it was tough. And uh, I had to really work to, to uh, you know, pick up the financial side of the business. So I did a couple of online courses, made a lot of mistakes uh, also. And, uh, but, and then I realized that, you know, the first thing that you must do before you start a business is understand how finance works. Understand what a balance sheet looks like and how do you manage your working capital. And how do you plan for your financials? I, I learned it the hard way. I learned it very late. Uh, but I but whatever. No regrets. I think there were good experiences. I'm still running my second company. It's very satisfying. It's going very well. I have a lot of very happy customers. And given a chance, I would do it again. That is so amazing. I love your story. I just, you know, before you said nobody in your family was an entrepreneur, I thought, wow, she's got entrepreneurship in her blood, you know, because every time you saw the opportunity to kind of be independent, that's what you wanted. It seemed like, you know, through the process, it didn't seem like you were happy if you were doing things that you didn't love. Uh, Yes, Jennifer, I want to share one more very interesting thing with you that uh, I told you my dad was in the Army, and I lost him when I was 15. Aww. And uh, even before that, even while he was still with us, I always wanted to go into the army. I wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps and serve the country. And when he passed away after that, this, uh, you know, this feeling became even stronger that I wanted to serve in the military. But they were, they were not taking women in active roles at that time in India. Women were only permitted to come into the forces as doctors or nurses. Mm. And so that was a tough decision. My mother was very keen that I should go, you know, follow in my father's footsteps. And she said, go ahead, become a doctor. You've got good scores and you can do it. But I didn't Mm. want to become a doctor. I wanted to uh, study the engineering side of subjects. So that was a tough decision. I almost said yes. And 
I would have probably become a doctor and got and been in the forces. But then I, I really badly wanted to do engineering. My mother really supported me, and so here I am. Uh, but that was a close call. Wow, that's great. I mean, that's nice that your mom and your dad just really supported you in your decisions, and you're just you have such great independent thinking. I'm just so impressed. So your exp- expertise lies in consulting companies across the globe, uh, you know, helping them to use data and information intelligently, uh, and that transforms. Uh, the way they do business. Can you share more about what your company does to help organizations? Yes, sure. So my company works primarily in two areas with our customers. So one is, you know, helping them with the transforming their business using data. So that's the complete life cycle of, you know, uh, what data do they have? What can they use it for? What kind of insights can they get with it? That's the consulting part of it. And then the actual implementation of aggregating the data and, you know, building some models out of it and then getting some meaningful uh, information in terms of visualizations out of it and then moving up to prediction and machine learning. So that's one area that we work in and that's how we help uh, our customers transform their business. Now, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples on, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, on on how this helps. So, for example, uh, so we work with large enterprises primarily in retail, uh, the financial sector, manufacturing, pharma, and hospitality. Mm-hmm. And these are really large companies who use a large number of IT systems to, to carry out their day-to-day operations. And as a result, they're collecting huge amounts of data on a daily basis. Uh, but at a company level, you know, uh, they need intelligence, not just at the management level, but also right down to the to the the supervisor on the shop floor, everybody needs intelligence to take the right decision. So typically you find, uh, you know, very meaningful uh, reporting and dashboards and all those kind of things being built for the top management. But the the frontline worker or the, or the people down the chain do not have access to any such tools. And as a result, their decision making is more or less ad hoc or just based on experience. So what we're trying to do is, you know, bring uh, a structured way of decision making across all levels of the company because decisions are made every day at every level. And if you have data, if you have the intelligence right in front of you to, for as an example, to see historically, you know, what happened when you when you did a certain thing? Uh, what uh, so when you when you when you were trying to forecast demand, what happened? If you if you forecast you know five percent extra as a buffer, so what really happened? Did you end up with extra stock? Did you have to write off that stock? And you know uh, because the shelf life of the stock was was low, so did you have to write it off and as a result destroy the product? So what happens so if you have access to data and you're able to see the path that you know those decisions took? You're automatically able to learn from it and able to take better decisions in the future. So we equip people at every level in the organization to do that, uh, which which is something which is traditionally not done. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, business intelligence was considered to be something like a you know fancy tool meant only for the CXOs you know of the company, and not really for the middle manager or for the, or even the lower managers or the frontline workers. So we're taking it and you know kind of um, democratizing it across the company. 
And that uh, really helps them because the moment they get these, uh, these tools in their hands, you know, they start thinking and they start analyzing and that automatically improves productivity and results in better decision making. That is great. Data is so important. And, you know, decision making based on the data is so valuable because, you know, I ran a business for so many years. And, you know, in the beginning, we ran it all on gut feeling and emotion and those types of things. And, you know, I'd say maybe five, six years ago, when data became so prominent, we said, okay, data is critical. Everything that all our decisions are data driven. Um, so I'm curious, though, because you're going to every job role in the organization, with a, which I think is amazing, um, are you providing, since training is, you know, my passion, are you providing training for them? Because having the data is one thing, being able to read it, analyze it, and interpret it is completely different. So how are you helping these frontline workers really understand the data? Right. Uh, great question, Jennifer. So uh, I, I'll, I'll kind of answer this in two ways. So right now, what we're doing is so uh, we we so you know we are a Microsoft partner and we work mm-hmm. largely with Microsoft technology and uh, with Microsoft Power BI, which is you know they've really created a great tool, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, is something which you know a business user with uh, close to zero technical knowledge can use. So that is one thing very powerful that Microsoft has created and help people move away from Excel. So what we are doing is we are uh, providing training to business users. So we run this training program as a part of our engagement mm-hmm. where we equip them with the basic skills to create uh, to use their data, maybe just in an Excel file, and to create simple Power BI dashboards so that they understand, you know, how does data visualization work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are still not equipped, obviously, to to handle uh, the data part themselves. So we go in and aggregate the data, build the models, get the data in a proper form, clean it up, so that they can then build their dashboards on top of it. So that way we enable business users to do simple analysis themselves. And they love it and they pick it up so quickly because most of them have been working with Excel. So mm-hmm. they do understand the basics of you know how to look at data. And now you're providing them with a very, very powerful visualization tool. So that kind of really gets them very excited. Uh, that's, that's the first thing. And then for complex analysis and dashboards, of course, we build them because they cannot build it themselves. So we build that and give those tools in their hands. But uh, this is working beautifully because, you know, the moment you give the power to analyze in the hands of a business user, he or she does wonders. Because the fact remains that it is that frontline worker who actually understands the business. It's not the CXO, uh, the CFO of the company who understands that particular part of the job. It's, it's, it's a man, the supervisor on the shop floor who actually understands what happens if I, you know, uh, if I generate, uh, if I produce, say, 10% less, or if my quality uh, check uh, is, you know, is missing these three points, what actually happens? He's a man who knows. So he's the best person to analyze the data. And now you give him a tool, you enable him to use that tool, and they work wonders. They come out with such amazing uh, information which, uh, which their bosses or the seniors don't even know. And they themselves didn't know because they could not look at the data in those uh, in those multidimensional ways, which now they are able to look at simply because they have a tool in their hands. 
So it's really bringing amazing results, Jennifer. And simply because now you have taken away the, the analysis from the IT and you've given it in the hands of the business. And that is bringing a huge change, let me tell you, in companies. That is, that is just amazing. I love providing the tool at the frontline level to make really good decisions. And now we're using people in the way that we need to use their brains, right? They're, they're smart. They're able to make decisions. They're able to bring so much more value to the company. I think that's amazing. Um, I understand that you still love to engage in debates on architecture and technology with your team. Can you share some stories about these debates? I think that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a tough one because um, uh, you know. It, so they say once a techie, always a techie. You know. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I've I've always been a techie at heart. My education was technical, and I started off as a programmer, and I've kind of you know done everything which uh, my people today are doing so uh, you know uh, so uh, so I, I'll give you an example and there have been like so many times so maybe there's a there's a customer project going on and there's a technical problem which is so common I mean, mm-hmm. they happen every day right so somebody's stuck and uh, it comes to my notice because there are some people who have been with the company, with my company, since about 15, 16 years. You know, I have a lot of such people who kind of came to us as as fresh graduates from college and then have been with us for a long time. So at the time when they came in, you know, so I used to really work very actively in grooming them and work with them literally on, you know, okay, okay, let's see what the problem is. Let's open the database and see mm-hmm. what the issue is. And then, of course, they learned and they grew senior and the company grew uh, and bigger, so I have around 100 people now, and I became busier and started focusing more on getting business and, you know, growing the company and kind of moved away from these, uh, what should I say, the hands-on part of the programming. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, since I've worked with them, so whenever they have a problem, they will typically come up uh, and, you know, try to bounce it off me, and Mm -hmm. and I just love that, and I love, you know, and, and I will push back my schedule and even, even you know, push back a, a reschedule a meeting so that I can sit and look into the code with them. <laughs> and, and, and and if I can solve the problem, hey, it's the greatest day of my life, you know, <laughs> if I can do that. But if nothing else, you know, I love just getting onto the, onto the whiteboard and bouncing options with them. And what I've seen, Jennifer, is that technology has changed tremendously since when I started. I started working. My first job was in 1991 is when I joined TCS after my master's. And that's when I started programming. And I started on a mainframe in COBOL. And then I worked through a wide range of technologies, some of which don't even exist today. And I have never worked in the new generation tech, which we use today, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But actually, I realized it doesn't matter because... And that's what I tell all the youngsters today, that don't get married to a Java or a .NET or a SharePoint. If you've got your foundations right, if you've got your concepts right, it doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. language you're programming in. It really just doesn't matter. Is it SQL Server? Is it Oracle? It just doesn't matter. So people kind of, uh, you know, try to, you know, get limited by, hey, I just know this. And if there is a new opportunity, they'll probably not take it that I don't know that. Uh, you know, I don't know the language, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't matter. 
Because if you've got your concepts right, so as an example, if you understand data and you understand how data works, how does it match? What is the tool that you're using to visualize the data? Is it Power BI or is it Tableau or is it ClickSense? It actually doesn't matter. You can pick it up very quickly because you've got the fundamentals right. You understand how data works. You understand how data modeling works. You understand how to work through it. And uh, I've seen a lot of the current generation doesn't get that, but we are old school. And that's how we were taught that, you know, focus on the fundamentals, on the design of what you're building. Yes, you know, your, your, your design should be strong. Your engine should be strong. What you're putting on top really doesn't matter. So it's like when you build, a, you make a building, right? You ensure that your foundations are very strong. And then it doesn't matter whether you make three rooms on top or small rooms or big rooms or five windows or doors. It really doesn't matter because mm -hmm. your foundations are strong. And so, uh, you know, the building will, will be robust and it will be firm and it will take the storm. And the same thing applies to software systems. So, uh, I'm sorry, I've totally forgotten what your question was. I got so carried away in talking about it. Um, no, that's, that's great. About We were still going into the debates. Yes. So I, get, so I get into these debates all the time, and I think I'm able to contribute uh, quite a bit uh, just out of general knowledge of technology and out of common sense. And people come to me even now to take my views on, you know, should we do it like this or should we do it like that? And I think I'm able to give, uh, give pretty decent decisions, and, and that's something which is very close to my heart. I think if, I'm, if I stop doing that, I, I'll really feel as if I'm not contributing <laughs> enough to the company. <laughs> that's, that is so amazing. I love that. And you are so correct about the foundation because I, um, I have a computer science degree, and it was the old days, you know. It's very yeah. different uh, languages, and I don't even want to say it will really date me. Um, but the foundation is still there. So when my team comes with problems or they're thinking through the IT solution, I'm able to kind of break it down and do some critical thinking with them um, so that we can come up with, you know, the right questions to ask so we make the right decisions. So I know exactly what you're saying. And what, what a, I think it's so great for your employees to have that ability to come and talk to you and the passion that you bring to the table is really, I'm sure, makes them want to stay with you forever. I love that. Um, so, you know, in addition to your business, you are also very passionate about diversity and inclusion. You're the community leader at the IMCP, which is a non-for-profit uh, that works with the Microsoft Partner Channel. Can you talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion and how you are making a difference? Yes, sure, Jennifer. That's my favorite question. Um, okay, so I got involved with IMCP quite a few years back, uh, you know, from the perspective of uh, giving back to the community. And uh, it was my first experience in working with, with you know, a community, a not-for-profit. And then uh, when IMCP, so I grew up, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I went to, uh, you know, being a member and then I started the chapter in Pune, I was the president, and then I moved up mm -hmm. to the India board and then to the international board. So when there was an opportunity to start, uh, you know, a new committee for diversity and inclusion, I volunteered for that. Uh, honestly, I had no background. I had mm -hmm. no background. I had no knowledge of uh, you know what it would involve, or even how DNI was done formally. 
Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, in my company, uh, we uh, do. I didn't even have a diversity policy. If you'd asked me when we started this D&I, mm-hmm. that's when I learned that you should have a diversity policy in your company. But uh, what I definitely did in our company is that we just never discriminated. We never differentiated mm-hmm. uh, between. Uh, say men and women, between people of different religions or language or color. India is a very diverse country. I'm sure mm-hmm. you would know that. Mm-hmm. We have like, you know, tons of languages and dialects and uh, people from different states are literally so different as people from different countries would be. Mm-hmm. And everything's different. Uh, but we never thought of differentiating. Our hiring process was completely impartial. There mm-hmm. were a couple of uh, instances where, you know, uh, people uh, did try to differentiate faces. Like, I, I still remember when, you know, we hired uh, girls. So some of our managers would say that, hey, you know, we have to work late at times. And, you know, it's very difficult uh, mm-hmm. for the girls to stay late. And travel is not so safe late evening in our mm-hmm. country. So let's not hire girls. So there were those, you know, those mm-hmm. uh, there were points because IT projects tend to run on deadlines. So we had to, at that time, you have to work with the managers because finally uh, they have to deliver, they have to meet deadlines, they have mm-hmm. to meet customer expectations, and they need to be comfortable with the team that they have uh, to deliver. And you, know, mm-hmm. you can't just push it through for the sake of pushing it through. So you have to coach them, you have to train them, and you have to give them solutions such that it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Uh, for both of them, because you were asking them to risk their deadline, uh, you know, on on a team member who they consider weak. Mm-hmm. So you have to coach, and and that's a lot of effort and a lot of leadership that you have to provide them, so that they can provide that leadership further on to their team, and be able and be confident to work with people who are different from them, be it in gender or in language or in way of working. So, uh, in fact, that is the one primary thing, Jennifer, that I've found that, uh, you know, and today the message that I give to partners is that the one thing, the only one thing that you need if you need your company to be more diverse. So it's it's not a good HR person who knows diversity. It's not HR policy. It's not metrics. It's, n- it's not training. It's nothing. All you need is to, to, to coach your leaders, your mm. team leaders. And make them understand that they should not uh, treat this as a risk. Mm-hmm. Because if they just fill up teams with people who are just like them in all ways, they will lose out in the service or the product which they offer to their customer because their customer mm-hmm. is not necessarily just like them. So my company services customers in France, in US, in Africa, in India. They're all different cultures. Mm-hmm. And the more diverse the workforce that I have, the better the chance that my workforce understands my customers' needs better, is able to adapt to that different culture which my customer comes from, and fit in better within their teams too. Versus if I just have everybody who, who looks alike, that, that's mm-hmm. so, I mean, who thinks alike, who works alike. And the second thing is that, so the uh, second thing is about innovation, obviously. The more the diverse the workforce, the more the different ideas you have, the more the innovation there is. So we were already doing it in our company. And then when I took it on, honestly, I was asked this question that, you know, what is INCP doing with diversity and inclusion? Why should we do it? Mm-hmm. We are we are partners. We are here to 
to sell Microsoft products. We are here to build software solutions. Mm-hmm. And why should I waste time on something like d and it, mm-hmm. It's a cost for me. Microsoft can do it, but I'm a small company. Why should I do it? So, uh, so yes, it, it was tough, but it was challenging for me. And that's when I realized that, hey, this is stuff I've, I've always been doing in my company, unconsciously, but I've always been doing it. Mm-hmm. And that helps me kind of, I think, uh, really bring passion to it and do it from my heart versus just as a, you know, as a job I had taken on. And I think I have been able to really, uh, you know, pass on this message to our member companies as to why DNI is good for business. And that DNI is really good for business and is not just a feel-good thing or something to talk about that, like corporate social responsibility. It really helps. And there are n number of examples in the industry that companies who have who, who did not have inclusive workforces, I'm sure you you got those examples, you've heard those examples about mm-hmm. Xbox design with Microsoft, uh, you know, not uh, having had to be changed because it was not thought through that, you know, that, you know, a, a woman would play on the controller. And so the controller was not designed to fit into a mm-hmm. woman's hand. It mm-hmm. was built for a large hand, a very small example. So, so many products in the industry, simply because they were not designed, keeping a diverse audience in mind, or they were not tested by a diverse group of people. When they went out to market, they obviously did not meet the needs of a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. And today, everything is global. Today, what you make in India, you sell probably in Brazil. And what mm-hmm. you make in the U.S., you probably sell in in the Philippines, right? And so right. you have to. So diverse workforces are becoming more and more important. We have to be aware of what what people in other parts of the world are like, how they think, how they speak. And then, secondly, we also have to be aware of people who are not necessarily have the same abilities like uh, you know the other person. Everybody's different. Everybody mm-hmm. has different different skills and different limitations. So uh, I realized how important diversity was, and I the, all of this I realized Jennifer after I had taken the plunge. How mm-hmm. important it was really to IT products or to to IT solutions. The font size. You know, if I, if I have a retail display in a kiosk in a mall in a senior citizen's uh, you know product section. If the font mm-hmm. is small, they won't be able to read. If they can't mm-hmm. read the catalog, they probably don't know what's on display there or the product name. I mean, there are so many examples. And so I realized how close D&I was to what we were actually doing in the partner ecosystem and how much there was a need to to move away from this thought process to say, hey, you know, we only hire, uh, you know, a certain kind of workforce and mm-hmm. the other kind we don't hire. So we've been able to bring about the change. I'm really very happy with that. And we are constantly working and getting people to, you know, be more aware that they need to do this and that this really helps their business. I think to bring your point home, um, very, very great stories that, that you mentioned, but diversity and inclusion broadens your audience. It's good for business, right? If you just look at one type of audience and you only test your product with that audience, that's the only audience that's going to buy your product. If you start to bring in diversity and inclusion of lots of different uh, types of people from all over the world, now you've broadened that market to be huge because now everybody is interested in your product. So I think that, you know, for it's good for business just over if you use that example. But 
you know, I think just the mindsets, the cultures, the diversity that comes from people is so important because you, you learn something from each of them. Now, being a woman in tech, what challenges have you faced? Because you're very impressive. You've built very successful companies. You've coached and mentored so many people. What are some of the challenges that you faced and, you know, how have you overcome them? Okay, Jennifer. Yes, I've had my fair share of challenges, as I'm sure you would have when you started your business. Mm -hmm. The first one is something I already mentioned, which was you know the lack of knowledge of finance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I realized it sooner or later that you cannot run a business without understanding finance. So I joined some courses. I learned uh, and uh, slowly you know got over my fear of looking mm -hmm. at financial mm -hmm. statements. Mm -hmm. and ensuring that I looked at them more and more so that I understood them better. So that was the first one. The second one was a bigger, it was a tougher one, actually. And that was, how do you break into a group of men standing at a bar and mm -hmm. talk to them? Mm -hmm. That was really tough. Really, really tough, honestly. It <laughs> took me so many years to be able to do that. But when I did, that evening, I would really pat myself on the back that I, I went into a group and started a conversation. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was tough and especially tough in India, I think, because mm -hmm. culturally, so in India, typically women do not drink in general. Mm -hmm. There are very mm -hmm. few women who consume liquor in India. Mm -hmm. So a woman standing at a bar anyways is like a, is like not common. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, culturally, these things become tough. And if, you, if you're running a company, you're in an event uh, where there are customers, you want to go and open conversations. This mm -hmm. is one mm -hmm. fear that you have to get over, mm -hmm. uh, get through. And I mean, typically, I would be at events initially when I started off. So there would be like two women in the whole room, maybe mm -hmm. you know, 100 men or three women. It was like that. So the, the ratio was so disproportionate, it made it even tougher. So that was tough. It took time for me to kind of get the confidence to do it. Uh, I had to really work on that. So that was uh, a big challenge. And, and I think it is still a challenge. And it's very interesting. I, I see my daughter. Uh, so my daughter is uh, working with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's in the regulatory division. She's an economist. And now she's just starting to develop business for them. I see her having the same same challenges even mm -hmm. now. But I see that this generation is way more confident than, than mm -hmm. what we were. Probably mm -hmm. they're just more so much more exposed. And plus the the gender balance is now different. So mm -hmm. now it's not two women in a room of hundred men. Now mm -hmm. it's probably twenty women in the room mm -hmm. of hundred men, which mm -hmm. makes a difference, right? So that those two, I would say, were the main challenges I faced. Those are, oh, I, you know, the story about how do you break in with men at a bar? I had the same challenge, and it is not easy. Um, <laughs> and then you have to know sports, and you have to be able to talk to them on the things that they are talking about, which is, again, not easy. You know, women <laughs> have different conversations. They don't have the same conversations. Um, but I had, yeah, I had to get better at that, too, and it's still hard. It's still hard. 
very late. It, it, it is tough. And as you rightly said, yeah, the topics are tough. The conversations are tough. And it becomes even tougher. Uh, you know, so we, so we, we've been working with customers, uh, 50% of our customers are outside India, as I said, in other countries. And it becomes even tougher when, you know, the, when that group is culturally different because the conversations become even more different mm-hmm. and how you approach the conversation is even more different. So there's a lot of groundwork which you need to do and which I learned that I needed to do and I started doing right from ensuring that I'm reading uh, catching up with what's happening in the news in that particular city on that particular day, be it sports, be it politics, you know, Mm -hmm. to have conversation openers. I actually, you know, I I would do that in a very diligent way and not just casually. And Mm -hmm. it helps because if nothing else, it gives you confidence. It gives you confidence to to start a conversation. It gives you confidence to contribute a sentence in a conversation that is already happening because you're not like totally lost. Wow, you are such an impressive woman, Sarika. I'm so happy we had this chance to spend some time together. So what closing comments or advice do you have for our listeners uh, who are women, who are, you know, maybe interested in moving into technology, maybe already in technology and experiencing some challenges? How do we give them more confidence? What kind of advice would you give them? Okay, so my advice is that... uh... So I, I always say this, right? So impossible is not a word in my dictionary. Mm-hmm. So never, never, ever think that there is anything which you can do simply because you're a woman. Yes, there may be things that you can't do because you do not have the abilities required to do that. Maybe you cannot become a, 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 a Olympic class swimmer. Maybe mm-hmm. you can't can't run long distance. That's different. But don't ever think that there's something you can do simply because you're a woman, because that's not true. And the same applies for technology. And well, when you come to technology, and that's that's the advice I give that be to women or men, that technology keeps changing. Technology is evolving so fast. The technology as we know it today will just not be there three to five years from now. It will be something totally different because uh, you know there is so much of research going on. So focus on the fundamentals. Get your basics right. Get your foundation strong. If you are going into science, develop a scientific temple and get the basics right. Don't go after, you know, the 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 short-term things like, hey, you know, this particular technology or that particular technology. Because once your fundamentals are right, once they're strong, then you've got a firm base in technology and then you can learn anything. So tomorrow, there's a new technology coming, there's machine learning coming, there's RPA coming. You can very easily pick up new technology and ensure that your career does not stagnate. Because mm-hmm. if your fundamentals are not right, and you've learned one te- one technology very well, if that technology goes away, then what happens? You are redundant suddenly to the organization, and you're probably the first person to be laid off. Mm-hmm. Because technology will keep changing. So it's very, very important that you develop the right fundamentals and you understand that you need to constantly keep learning, constantly upgrading yourself as tech changes so that you remain relevant to the company, you remain relevant to the business and to the industry in general. That's very important because this is a big challenge in the technology field. It's not like manufacturing that 
uh, you know, changes are not so often. In manufacturing, you're probably using a manufacturing process. It remains the same for 10 years and probably changes after that. But in IT, every three months you have something new. So it's very important that you're constantly upgrading yourself for women. And I did that myself. I have two children and every time I took breaks, uh, you know, for maternity breaks, I was not just sitting at home. I was mm -hmm. constantly learning. I ensured that when I came back to work, I knew what was the new technology there so that I could still be relevant, so that I could get good opportunities and so that my growth was not impacted. So that would be my advice uh, to women who are trying to make a career in technology. That's great advice. Great advice. Get a good foundation and continuous learn. Continuous learning is so important. I believe in that as well. And, you know, if you have a good foundation and you're continuously growing and continuously learning, you adapt to change because change is in inevitable. Um, you know, you're saying three months, I'm thinking, you know, in the cloud, it's almost every day now. It's kind of scary. <laughs> uh, we're in a whole different world. <laughs> Very true. Well, thank you, Sarika. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope to have you again sometime. Um, if our listeners want to get a hold of your organization, what's the best way to understand more? Okay, so the best way uh, would be to visit our website, which is uh, www.c3itsolutions.com uh, to visit our website and even better would be, please get in touch directly with me. So I'm on LinkedIn and I'll share my information. Just drop me a message and I, I will get back to you. That's awesome. And we will also have your information, you know, in this podcast as well. Thank you, Sarika. It was a pleasure. Um, and I hope to have you again soon. Thank you for listening. And please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it, in person, virtual, on demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction, your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction.